we are continuing to talk about unshakable joy. So we just sang that last line, I will not be shaken. You know there is joy that is possible that you won't be shaken. Amen. Amen. God is good. Let me ask you guys, uh, have you ever done this before? Maybe you're like me where um, you're, in the, you're in the kitchen and you begin to walk uh, out down the hallway and you, you walk down the stairs of your house and you begin to walk out down, you get all the way down into the basement, and then you, you start to walk out towards the garage. If you're like me, I have a, a walkout garage. So I walk out to the garage and then walk out into my yard and get to my shed, which is a distance from my house. And I get out to my shed, and I totally forgot why I, why I even went out all at all, right? Have you guys ever been there before, right? You're standing there for a moment, and you're like, am am I that old? Like, I don't even know. Like, I'm not. But I, I just wonder, you know, like, what am I doing? And then you have to retrace all of your steps and go back and get, and then in your mind, you get back into the kitchen and you're like, oh yeah, that's where I was, right? That's what I remember. Yeah. And then you have to walk it all again, right? So um, I believe sometimes as followers of Jesus, that happens to us. We can um, go to church, we can go to work, we can get saved, we can get in a small group, we can get a job, we can uh, have a nice family, we can, uh, and, and get all the way into a small group or in church service or whatever, and we forget why we were even here, why we were even doing what we're doing. And one of the main things that we are called to do as believers is really, it's to see people come into the kingdom of God, right? I mean, Jesus' mission statement is Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It's one of his statements as to why uh, he came, and it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, right? And this scripture has been just stirring up in me, this certain scripture, as I begin to study for this series and think about this series, this certain scripture, and it's found in Psalm chapter 51, and it goes back to the, uh, one of the Psalms of David. And, and this is at a time in David's life when he wrote this psalm, he had been in some trouble. He, he had this whole uh, affair with Bathsheba and committed adultery. He ordered a murder, okay? It's not just like a good day, right? I mean, it's not the best of times, right? And he gets confronted by the prophet Nathan, and the prophet Nathan comes in and says, hey, buddy, uh, this isn't right, and this conviction falls all over David, and he cries out. And one of the things he pins in this psalm is this line from Psalm chapter 51, verse 12. And it says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You see, somewhere along the way, he got caught up in all of this, you know, uh, playing the harp and tending the sheep and, and slaying a giant and running from Saul and becoming king and doing godly things. And all of a sudden, he got to this point where somewhere he forgot why he was there. He forgot the joy of God, what God had done at the very beginning. See, sometimes we have to go all the way back. If we have lost our joy, we have to go all the way back and, and go back to God and say, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation, the joy of what you've done for me, the joy of what you did in the beginning, the joy of being saved, the joy of your grace. And this may shock you, but one of our purposes is the same as Jesus's, which is to seek and save the lost. You realize that one of your main purposes is to see lost people come into the kingdom of God if you're a believer, right? Somebody got it, one person. Thank you, Joseph. This may shock you, but God in Scripture seems more concerned a lot of times about seeing lost people come into the kingdom than keeping found people. Most of the stories that Jesus tells are all about finding lost people, 
finding lost people. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about found people. It's just that his mission is so overriding that it, on the heart of God is to find people who are lost and to, and to bring them into his family. And so we have a part of that. And I think sometimes we forget about that. And I think one of the reasons we forget about that is because once we're in the kingdom of God, we're like, good for me. <laughs> like, this is great. I'm glad I'm here. And then we tend to forget the joy of our salvation because we tend to forget that people have an expiration date. I mean, we have an expiration date from like when we die. The Bible says that life is but a vapor. We're here for just a moment. It's like a mist on a cold fall or winter day, which is coming, praise the Lord, right? And so uh, if you're like me, you're waiting for that. But it's like that mist that's there for a moment and you see it and then it's gone. That's how quickly it is. And people have an expiration date in this life, I want you to just imagine just for a moment that you could actually see a countdown clock on everyone's forehead. What if you could see the number of days and minutes as it was counting down, and it would be unique for every single person here? What if you looked around this room and you saw a countdown clock on everyone? Would that cause a little bit of an urgency? What if you went around your job or your school or you saw your family members, and some of you, your heart does just bleed like this. I mean, your heart is for people like that. But what if you could see the countdown clock? See, people do have an expiration date. And, and one of our missions is the mission of God, which is, is, you know, to understand that found people find people. You know, we see that in Philip. You know, Jesus found Philip. Philip turned around, and he found Nathaniel. Found people, find people. That's part of our mission. And so we have to understand this. We want to understand this joy of our salvation. We have to understand that every single person here, your story matters. Your story of God's grace in your life matters. Your story of God's love coming into you, it matters. Some of you are like, well, I don't know how to evangelize. Isn't that for somebody else? Isn't that the pastor's job? Isn't that the evangelist's job to share the good news? I mean, I thought my job was just to bring people to church and let the pastor lead them in an altar call. No, every single one of us, and that's every single one of us believers, we are called to be evangelists. We are called to share the good news. The office of evangelist is simply to equip others to evangelize. You say, well, I'm not very good at that. Well, let me tell you what evangelism is. Evangelism is simply talking about what you love. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We talk about what we love all the time. If we get a new car, we talk about what we love. We talk about, like, what's going on in our life. It just flows out of us. Listen, if Jesus has done something in your heart, it ought to just flow out of you, Right? But see, some of us have lost the joy of our salvation. We've forgotten about that. And we've, we've left that uh, to the, the sides, left that to somewhere in our past. And so what I thought today we would do is to reclaim some of that joy of our salvation. And your story matters. And one of the best ways that we can do that is to remind ourselves of salvation stories. And so today we're going to hear a few different salvation stories, and they are all unique. They are all different and that's because every one of us are unique and different, and we have different stories. And so as we walk through this, I just want you to let joy rise up again, to maybe be reminded of your story, 
Maybe be reminded, those of you guys who are in Christ, of what Jesus has done for you. Go back to the moment when that happened for you. And even if you can't pinpoint a moment, go back to that season of your life where you could feel the fresh newness of God's life come into you. And so the first story we're going to hear, it's on video. It's Becky DeWitt. She is our children's uh, leader, and she leads all of our kids' ministry. And uh, I would have her up here today, but she had a big wedding this weekend. Her daughter was married. We did that. Give them a big hand. Janet and Jeremy and Tom and Becky's their kids were married this weekend, so that was a lot of fun. But let's listen to Becky DeWitt's story. My story is this. I was raised in church. Uh, my parents went all the time. I was there three days a week. Um, church was a really good place, happy place. Um, I loved going. It was very different than home. I uh, felt anxious at home. I had fear. There was a lot of fear in our home and um, frustration. So there was uh, quite a bit of difference between church and home. And so I really did enjoy being at church. So around age five, I asked my mom, what is it like to ask Jesus into your heart? So she talked with me and prayed with me and I remember feeling happy and like I had done a really good thing. So then throughout high school, uh, because I was at church so much, um, I would hear testimonies of other people who were saved out of, um, you know, lifestyles that were very different than, than mine, uh, saved uh, from drugs, delivered from alcohol. And I remember thinking, wow, that is an awesome story but then I also thought well I don't have a story like that so whereas I was really glad and happy that God saved them I was comparing my life and realizing I didn't have that story but what was happening that I did not realize was that I was um, beginning slowly to uh, think I was better than others I began to have um, attitudes going on in my heart. Then um, sometimes they would come out, but I was able to keep those um, quiet and didn't let that show as much, or at least I thought I was keeping that quiet. I was really uh, critical and um, judgmental. I, of course, would never have said I was those things, um, so fast forward to 1993, I was 22 years old, I had just graduated from Bible college, and I was in a Bible study at my church with some ladies, and we were studying the parables, and it happened to be the prodigal son, and I've always, you know, heard that story, and so I thought, oh, I, this is a, you know, I know this story. I've heard about the prodigal son quite a bit, and the prodigal and what he was all about. But this particular study not only focused on the prodigal and coming home and how good that was and how they were celebrating that, but this study was pointing at the brother, who I'd never really thought much about, but the brother was um, not wanting to come to the party. He was really um, frustrated, agitated, angry. He didn't understand why they would even throw a party for the brother, I mean, he had stayed home and done everything right, but they were throwing a party for the prodigal. As I'm reading that, then there was a question 
in the study that said, is there anyone in your life that if when they came to know Jesus, you wouldn't be happy about them? You wouldn't celebrate. And I thought, oh, well, that's silly. Others, of course, I would celebrate. But when I really asked the Lord that question, is there someone that I would not be happy about if they came to know the Lord? And he said, yes, there is someone. And that, those words or that revelation really was an eye-opening um, moment for me. And he revealed that my heart was very much like the brother who would not come to the party. And I even thought, well, that is silly. He should come to the party. Why wouldn't you do that? But when it was pointing back at me and asking me if I would really do that, if this particular person came to know the Lord, I had to really think and I realized that I had resentment towards them. So much so that if and when they come to know the Lord, I don't know that I would have been that happy about it. That was the day that I realized my heart did not match the outside appearance. I could act like I was this good Christian and nothing, I didn't have this story, but inside I was judgmental, I was self-righteous, I was critical, unforgiving, and that's all sin. I was walking in sin and I had no idea that I was. Thankfully, by God's grace, he revealed what was really happening on the inside. And I repented. I asked the Lord to forgive me. I confessed to the ladies in my Bible study that that was what was going on in my heart. Um, and I turned. I changed. I was a new creation from that day forward. Now, I uh, do sometimes struggle with self-righteousness at times, but at least I am aware when it does happen and I am quick at least I try to be quick to ask the Lord to forgive me so growing up I didn't really think I had much of a testimony to, to tell but the scripture says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony so thank you for listening Amen. every story is unique I've got another, another person who's going to share a story. Give a hand for Bob Van Camp as he comes and shares his story. Come on up here, Bob. Good morning. Um, story while I got it is a little bit different things, but uh, it's still uh, some of the parts that I'm going to be sharing is kind of what I want to say metamorph it's uh well using stuff to to share anyway you'll get the idea anyway I grew up in a church and uh I knew Jesus I knew God and all that but it was not a relationship it was just a habit we went to church um did what we did there sang and went home when it came to high school, I joined FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was a secretary in that place. And uh, we went to different churches that 
people was in that organization and you learned the different stuff that different churches did. And I thought, you know, this is kind of different. Went into the service, got back, and uh, after two failed marriages, I was pretty much an idiot, selfish type guy that was not good. And uh, a guy I worked with was sharing with me about God a little bit. And at the time, I was into the spiritual aspect of Indian, Native Indian stuff and, and uh, Asian spirituality and stuff. And so we got to talking about it. And I started going to church there with him. And I learned about fasting. So... I said to myself, if there's a God, I need to know. You need to show me. You need to reveal to me who you really are. I don't want to play games. So I took a three-day fast, went down to uh, our farm down south Missouri. I went up into the hills and I camped for these three days fasting. I gave up food because I was hungry for God. I gave up hunting because this is November, and I'm an avid hunter, and uh, I was hunting for God. And that one night, I was reading in some scriptures, and uh, I got to thinking, man, when I was in FCA, we had a conference up here at William Jewell, and a young man had shared uh, a story about these three hardware salesmen they had a convention, and uh, they did their stuff during the convention. They went to the bar, and then they decided to go up to the room. And on their way to the room, they realized the elevators broke down. So they had to climb all these stairs to the 13th floor where the rooms were. And they were tired, wore out, and everything. And uh, they went to go to the room and realized they didn't have their keys. And the moral of the story was the fact our lives, if we don't have Jesus, our keys to get to heaven, we're going to miss it for eternity. And it was really a deep subject, and it really stayed in my mind for a long time. I said, man, I need to share that. And uh, so I'm reading in Ezekiel 47 talking about the waters coming out of the temple, measuring it. And I'm like, man, this is kind of weird. It's very prophetic. And I was getting cold, so I decided, oh, uh, let me go back to the truck. I'll get a blanket, another blanket, and I'll come back and finish reading. So I take off in the middle of the night, about a quarter of a mile away from my truck, up and down these hills and the creek, and it's dark. I'm not scared, but I start sharing the little bit of Psalms 23 that I knew. I walked through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. I just kept saying it over and over. So I get all the way back to my truck to get in and get the blanket and realize my keys are still back at the tent. So there was a point that I had to live out the story I wanted to share that I got to make sure I got Jesus in my life before it's time. 
So I go back to the tent. I'm reading Ezekiel 47, talking about the waters. I felt like God was really sharing with me the fact, and this is like a real Kairos moment, that he wants me to walk in the water or get in the water, and he'll take me where I need to go. But he loves me enough that the different measures of water that I could walk out of the water and he still loves me. Many times in my walk, I got out of the water. But I learned getting back in the water is where the anointing is, the blessing, and the joy. And then I started realizing the scripture talks about picking up the cross to follow me. And we think of a cross being big and bulky and burdensome and stuff, but and this is what I talk about metaphorically. That me taking that cross and getting back into the water, that wood floats. It's not a heavy burden. And that cross is carrying me down that water now. And it's easy. It's joy. The blessing is here, the anointing and everything. And it's just a reminder that that cross, what Jesus did for me, he did for everybody. I mean everybody. And it's just what we need to be is to share that same thing, is that love and to be that Jesus. And... Uh, and to get in the water. Because that cool, refreshing water is always good. But that's, that's just where I was at. And that's what turned my life around. And uh, hope you guys get something out of it. Because you guys got a story as well. Love you guys. So good. Every story is unique, isn't it? All right, next up, we've got Pastor Aaron and Sarah Poor. They're going to share their story. Give them a big hand as they come up. So um, one of the things that I, I hear in Becky's story and in Bob's story is that moment where something happened where knowing Jesus knowing God became real. And uh, I want to lay just a little super small foundation for what we're going to share. I'm just going to share a little slice of our stories. But the thing, even though our stories are different, the thing that's a common factor is there was a point in time where we had to know Jesus for ourselves. Because how many of you guys know when it comes to eternal life, Jesus can't be like a friend of a friend, right? I mean, he, God has no grandchildren. You know, you know what I mean? I, and so the, the thing is, is you can, you can have a story where you had like a really, really rough life, then you had this dramatic conversion, or you can have a story like Becky's or like mine where you literally grew up around Christianity and people following Jesus and God demonstrating his love and power.
But there still has to be a moment where you know God. And uh, there's, that, there's, a, there's, there's a few scary places in the Bible. People call them the hard sayings of Jesus and things like that. And one of them is Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And that's the one where Jesus is saying, and this, is, this freaks a lot of people out, and maybe it should. But Jesus is saying, look, many will say, Lord, Lord. You know, many on that day will come to me and say, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do many mighty works? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. He's not going to say, well, you didn't do enough mighty works. Well, you didn't feed enough hungry people. You didn't lead enough people to me. No, the, the point of contention there is, I never knew you. And on the positive side of that coin, 1 Peter 1.8 talks about this, and it's just so cool. And this is kind of getting ahead a little bit into Sarah's story, but 1 Peter 1.8 says, though we have not seen him, we know him. And it talks about how knowing him is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so for both of us, there was that moment. So for me, raised in a church similar to this type of a church, you know, and um, I remember uh, this is probably the first memory I have is the moment, and I was a little, little kid. I think I was three years old. I had to ask my dad about this last night, where I went up to him and said, I want Jesus in my heart. And so we sat down and we prayed, and he tried to explain it to my three-year-old mind what that meant. And I did that. I prayed that prayer. And at six years old, uh, I asked him to pray for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I began, at that moment, I began speaking in tongues, and I began experiencing the power of God in a completely different way as a six-year-old little kid. And, and in our church, we would have t- there, were, there were times where they would bring the children up front, and the children would lay hands on people, and people would be healed in those moments. And, and in worship, as a little kid, I was raising my hands and worshiping Jesus. And so I'm telling you, that's the environment I grew up in. And that's what, that's what my normal was. And I was around all of that. But there was still a moment for me, for me personally, where there had to be a shift into my connection to God, my relationship with God, not just having parents who followed Jesus, not just having friends who followed Jesus. And so there was a point in time, and I remember this night, crystal clear. We had Sunday night services at our church, and I was sitting in the back row. I was, I was about 12 years old at the time. I was sitting in the back row on the left-hand side in a chair, and I remember the realization that Jesus had come and taken all my sin and paid the price for it. And this thing that I had literally heard thousands upon thousands of times my whole life became real in that moment. And, the, and it was just a point in time. There wasn't an altar call. There wasn't anything dramatic, but it became real, and it crystallized in my heart. And it just, it, 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 as a father, it, it, it makes me realize how important it is to disciple and shepherd my kids, that just because they grow up in a house of Christians 
they have to have their relationship with God. God has no grandchildren. And so that was a transformative moment in my life. It didn't look dramatic on the outside, but it meant everything. And from that moment, Jesus and I started getting to know each other in a real way. And so Sarah has a cool story, too. It's a little bit different than mine, though. Okay, so I said last night I don't have enough time to share my whole backstory, but I'm going to hit some bullet points to try to give you guys a picture. Um, so I, uh, my, I had grandparents that were in the ministry, and so we knew about God. We had heard about God. I knew God. It, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. They died in their 50s, so I'm going to just hit some bullet points. They died in their 50s. It changed our whole family lines. Um, so here's how the enemy, this is what the enemy does. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy. So in my family, here's some things that happen. Depression, anger, um, divorce, um, suicide, um, religion, anger. I mean, a lot of things through the lines the enemy came in. So I'm a little girl going through this, seeing my family members go through things, and me even being affected by things, and choices that I made that weren't good. Um, so here's my moment, um, talking about, and we have many moments, but I want to talk about the one that really kind of, again, the joy of our salvation that changed and made a shift in my life, made me follow after God with everything in me. Um, so I was 14 years old, um, and I remember I would go back and forth to church, and uh, we ended up going to this church where Aaron actually uh, was leading guitar at, and um, the youth pastor there, Pastor Tom, who's on our board here at Journey Church, he was my youth pastor, Pastor Sean's youth pastor. He was full of excitement and life, and he taught us well. And I remember in this little tiny room in the, the first floor of this church, it was youth group on Wednesday nights. And uh, again, I had heard about God. I knew who he was, but I hadn't had a relationship like Bob was talking about too. Um, and so I was in the room and Pastor Tom was talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I remembered thinking, I have no idea what this means. I, I have no clue but I want it. I, I mean, I, I was just so, like anything I heard Pastor Tom talk about with the word, I wanted it. And so I remember raising my hand, and I don't remember if Pastor Sean remembers this, but um, I don't know if I was the only one. I feel like I was the only one in the room, you know, who feel like that sometimes when you walk forward. But I remember standing in the front and him asking some of the teenagers to come up and pray over me. And so they, I had a whole bunch of people just praying over me. And I mean, we were, I mean, everybody was hungry for God. I mean, the, you could feel the presence. But I mean, again, I had never experienced this before. And so I wanted to speak in tongues. I, I mean, Pastor Tom said, this is what you can do. This is a gift from God. I'm like, I'm all in. What, I don't know what I got to do, but, you know, teach me, show me. And so they're all praying and they're like, Sarah, do you feel anything? And I'm like, I don't feel anything. And I'm just standing there, you know, and they're like, well, we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. And they're like, okay, still nothing. Sarah feels nothing. So they took me to a back room. Let's just keep praying. They, they just kept on after me. And I think of that song, Alicia, that you were talking about. 
Um, God runs after it. I mean, he's with us. I mean, I have no doubt and through my whole story, through all of your stories, God is continually running after and with us. And that just blows my mind that he's so in love with all of us. So anyway, I still did not feel a thing. And again, this is a very important pivot point in my life. Um, me choosing to go to church, um, me choosing to go to this youth group, and um, me choosing to raise my hand um, and being bold and saying, I want more and taking that step in the front. So Pastor Tom finally said, Sarah, it's okay. Just go home, pray. You know, God will do something. You know, I don't know when. And so I remember going home at 14 years old, and I went into my room down in the basement. I closed the door, and I locked it. And I just remember getting on my knees, and I said, God, whatever it is. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> God came in. And I had never felt the presence of God before, but it felt like a cloud. I mean, like there was a cloud of, in my room, and it was the presence of God. I mean, again, I had never felt this my whole life. At 14 years old, my life was changed. My legacy has been changed now. Um, so all the suicide, the depression, the anger, what do we have now? We have a marriage that has lasted and will last forever. We're 24 years this year. We have five kids that are healthy and beautiful and chasing after God. <laughs> I mean, joy. There's joy when you make a pivot point choice and say, I'm hungry for God. Yeah. <clears throat> I, <clears throat> I know some of you were confused when Sarah said we're 24 years because you're thinking, are they 24 years old? And I understand that it's confusing. But no, we're 24 years married this year. Okay. Well, I, I, I want to uh, introduce the next story um, and I have the honor of doing that because uh, this story, Martin, is uh, somebody that it, it kind of has a connection into our real life group that we had going a couple of years ago. And so Terry and Terry Wells, some of you guys know the Wells, uh, they were in our real life group at the time. They lead their own group right now. But uh, at the time, they were in our, and we always had a time where we would pray together at the end, and if you had a prayer need, and they're they asked for prayer for their son, their adult son, Martin. And they said, we don't know what's going on. We, don't, we haven't talked to Martin for a long time. He's living in Las Vegas. Uh, we believe he's in danger. We have no way of getting a hold of him. And we've been praying for him for a long time. And it, the, the, on the surface, it seems like there's no hope. But we believe God can do a miracle, so let's pray. So we prayed, and, um, and it was a really powerful time. And then at some point after that night, uh, God actually woke me up in the middle of the night. And I've never had this happen before in exactly this way. And he literally just woke me up out of sleep and said, pray for Martin right now. And that night that that happened, it happened two or three times. And I just thought, man, God's doing something in Martin's life. And it wasn't too long after that that I heard from Terry and Terry that Martin had gotten a hold of them and was wanting to come home. And so I won't get into his story any further. We have a video of it. Let's go ahead and roll, roll that video. 
My name is Martin Wells. Um, most of you know my parents, Terry and Terry Wells. I just wanted to give you a quick testimony of my life and what the Lord has done. Um, basically, I was raised in a great home, went to church, went to Christian school. When, you know, when I was 13, I started getting around the wrong crowd, using drugs. So my life kind of unraveled from there. Uh, I faced prison time, ended up reconnecting with the Lord for a few years, um, fell off again, went to college. Things got worse, more drugs, partying. So I tried to move to Florida um, to run away from that. And the same cycle started again. And it was constant partying, drugs. Um, you know, I was in trouble in every way, shape or form, basically. Uh, from there, I moved out to Las Vegas to, um, to open a new office for the company that I'd started. I uh, thought that things would be different there because I had been making a lot of money. Uh, things just continually went worse. Um, I became addicted to heroin and other drugs and alcohol worse than I'd ever been before. Uh, continued down that road to the point that I became homeless. Um, basically the same thing played out, except it was a lot worse. Um, I'd constantly been off and on opiates, but I got fully addicted to heroin when I was in Las Vegas. I was fully addicted to meth every day and still drinking. So I was using very large amount of drugs because I was making more money. And I would say Las Vegas is probably the most horrible place I've ever lived. You can feel the disconnect from the Lord there. You can feel this, the darkness of the spiritual atmosphere that it has. And so I constantly was in a deeper and darker hole than I'd been in before. Um, I ended up homeless. So I'd lost my job, lost my business, lost all my friends, lost my apartment. And I began living in the tunnels underground Las Vegas. So I had been involved with some guys that were in a gang. Most of the people that live underground or outside are involved with a gang in one way or another. It's the only way to survive. So they had done some stuff that I knew about that was really bad. And so basically these people have killed people. Uh, I, I didn't see it happen, but I know for sure that it did. Um, and so they were trying to get me to come back in a darker part of the tunnel. I believe they were trying to take my life. And so the Lord audibly spoke to me for the first time in my life and said, if you don't leave right now, you will die. He said, get up and flee. And so I didn't listen. He said it again, leave now or you will die. And so I listened because it was so crazy. I thought maybe it was a drug thing or I was hallucinating. It was the Lord. I could feel it in every, every atom of my body. And so I got up and I ran. I left. Well, I tried to get away from where I was at, but all these people are connected through the underground tunnel system and people kept popping up at all different locations where I was going trying to get me. And this is the, this is God on truth. They were physically trying to get me to drag me back down there. And so I was running and I ran about, I would say like five miles probably had gone distance wise and ended up on the Las Vegas strip. So the strip is full of thousands of people. I hear somebody calling out my name. She said, Martin, Martin. And I said, there's no way they're talking to me. She called him out my name. Well, it was a girl that I had helped that had been homeless that I let stay with me for free and helped her get on her feet. She had said, I want to help you. I know you're, I can see you're in trouble. You know, come with me and I'll help you. So she'd given me like $200. She let me come to her hotel room, which was, she was staying with a guy that I'd known. I'd gave him a job uh, when I used to run a pizza place in Las Vegas. And so they said, hey, stay with us. You know, you smell bad. Take a shower. I hadn't been asleep in probably five days, I think. Um, 
So she said, stay with us. We'll help you. And so, you know, at the point I knew that I was ready to change my life. And honestly, people say, like, how could you use drugs for so long? How could you not change your life? My parents prayed for 25 years that I would change my life and never saw anything happen. So as parents that are going through the same situation and people that are going through the situation I did, you got to understand that my heart wasn't ready. I was so selfish that even if I would have gotten help before, it would never have lasted. It would have been the same thing that happened every other time. It took me to get to a point where I was finally so sick and tired of chasing the same lifestyle that I was willing to change. So I was able to call my parents from that hotel room and tell them, I need to come home. You know, I need help. I had no, no money. I had no clothes. I had a pair of shorts, no driver's license. My license has been suspended for about 20 years. I had no social. I had nothing at all. And I was trying to get back to Kansas City from Vegas. So they were able to book me a bus ticket. And so they didn't think I'd even get on. So I got on the bus. I came to Kansas City with literally nothing and went to a program out here called Hope City, uh, Kansas City. So it's a program that takes addicts, homeless, anything in your life that's separated you from the Lord and taken away your life from you. They will let you live there. And basically what happens is you go to church all the time. You're in the prayer room all the time. You're going to Christian classes that most theologians don't get. You're taking all these classes and you're literally immersed from eight in the morning until nine o'clock at night with the word. So I changed my life. The Lord radically transformed me. I instantly was set free from heroin, from alcohol, from drugs, from everything I'd ever done in my lifetime. I couldn't even sleep at night unless I drank. That's how much my mind worked against me. Um, so all that I was set free. So I started on my path of, of regaining Christianity and I embraced it wholeheartedly and ran after it. So doing so, the Lord moved me so much faster towards him than I'd ever been in my life. So from that point, I became a, a shift leader and I started being in charge of the men there that were going through the same situation that I was. So I just want to tell you what the Lord has done. He's replaced everything that's been stolen or taken from me in my life. I got a car given to me. I ended up with a job making more money than I've ever made in my life. I got my license for the first time in 20 years, my credit fixed, a bank account. The Lord has faithfully given above and beyond what I would even need to survive. I'm thriving because of the Lord. So I just wanted to tell you to have, to have heart. If your kids are going through the situation, continue to pray. If it's 20 years, the Lord will work it out in his time. So I just want to tell you all, that this is my testimony and what the Lord did and he can do the same for you. Amen. Guys, that's a story that happened right in Journey Church House. That's, that's, that's like people that are connected with us. God can do amazing things, amen. And I, I've told you guys my story before, but you know, you've heard a lot of... Uh, a lot of different stories, and you hear a story like Martin's, and maybe you're like Becky or like Aaron or maybe like me, where I, at one point I thought, man, God, I hear all these stories, and I just want to have like this crazy, horrible story of redemption that you did in my life. And, but I grew up in church, and I don't have that story, and, and it'd be so cool to be able to tell a story like that, you know? And, uh, but then I, I was reminded of my dad, and many of you guys know the story of my dad, who he was like Martin, basically. He was homeless and an alcoholic and addicted to all of this stuff. 
And God came one night and radically changed him. He heard about a little revival at a little church, a little country church, and he walked out to this country church that was having a revival meeting, and he sat in the back row with all the tattered jeans and all that, and he heard the pastor give an altar call, and he presented the gospel, and he, he walked up and he gave his heart to Jesus that day. And he went home and he said, I, I sat down on the couch. He, he didn't have a, a, a home, but he stayed at a friend's house and he lay down on the couch and he said he, the only way he could describe it is he felt as clean as a bar of soap. <laughs> and that's all he had to describe it as. But God radically changed his life. I was running one day. I like to run. And so I was running one day and all of a sudden I was thinking about that. And I was just overwhelmed. And I just began to, to cry out to God and thank God so much that God's grace came to my dad. So I didn't have to have a horrible, crazy story that I could walk in the grace of God and, and even from a young age have a different story, change the family tree. And so I don't have a crazy story to share, but I can tell you this, that I was, a, I was in no less way, I was no less a sinner in need of a Savior. Because when we come to the foot of the cross, you know that every single one of us comes to the foot of the cross on level ground. Our works can't save us. So our bad works are not enough to keep us from the grace of God. And our good works are not enough to buy us the grace of God. We come to the cross on level ground. And so many of us forget the gift of grace, the gift of salvation. And it is a free gift, amen. It's so free. It's not based on what we do. Now, I have in my pocket here, I have some money. I actually have $100. Anybody want $100? Anybody want $100? Okay, some people raising their hands. Uh, again, who, who wants $100, okay? I saw $100. I saw you right there, Dave. Come on up here. Come on up here. Come on up here. Now, I, I want you to know something. This is, uh, this is my money. This is my personal money. It's not the church's money. It's, not any, it's, like, it's my money. I literally got this out of the ATM. Okay, it's, it's my money. It's $100. And I'm, I'm going to give this to you as a gift, okay? I'm just going to give this to you, okay? But I'm going to need you to work about 10 hours okay. to get this, okay? Are you willing to do that? Yeah. Okay. Okay, he's willing to do that because, but see, if, if I give him a, a gift, I've given him $100 and he works for it, what, what is that? That's, that's a paycheck, right? Okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gift this to you though, Dave, and I'm, I'm going to give this to you but do you have anything of value on you that you might trade me for this hundred dollars? Yeah, anything of value that you would be willing? You have two hundred. Okay. <laughs> he has two hundred dollars. <laughs> All right. Well, that would work out just nicely for me, wouldn't that? All right. So if if he were to trade me something for me for that, that would be a barter. But if he were to give me two hundred dollars for one hundred dollars, that would be what? That'd be a purchase. You'd be purchasing this, right? Okay. So I'm literally going. To, you don't have to give this to me back at the end of the service. Or anything. I'm literally gifting this to you right now. Okay. So this is not a gimmick. This is not. A, I'm literally giving you hundred dollars. You can take that. Give him the big hand. That is literally a gift. Okay. Yeah. Because, because here's the thing, they, that if, if you were to, <laughs> oh yeah, hand it right over to your wife. <laughs> I'm literally giving that to you, Mary. I'm just, I'm giving it to you, Mary. So, um, but, but here's the thing about that. 
If I were to give that to him and he were to work for it, that would be a paycheck. If I was to give that to him and he was to trade something for it, that'd be a barter. If I were to give that to him and he would buy that, that that's a purchase. But how many of you guys know a free gift is just free? And so many of us, when it comes to God's grace, we try to work for it. We try to trade something for it. We try to get a paycheck. We try to pay God back in some way. Now, Dave, I want you to know that that gift is free to you. But it wasn't free for me. Because it cost me something, right? And the free gift of grace is free to us. But how many of you guys know it costs Jesus everything? And when we realize that, and we come back to the joy of our salvation. Oh man, there ought to be, there ought to be joy. You know, in the Old Testament, they would, they would come and they would bring a lamb as a sacrifice. And as a sacrifice, you'd have to bring a perfect, spotless lamb. We'll have the worship team come back up as we get ready to close. They would have to bring a perfect, spotless lamb. And it was ultimately prophetic and symbolic of what was to come, that Jesus would be the perfect, spotless lamb that would be slain for our sins. But in the sacrificial system of that day, they would bring a perfect spotless lamb and they would bring it to the priest to be sacrificed. Now, I want you to understand that when they would come with a perfect spotless lamb, they would inspect the lamb, not the lamb bringer. You see, God doesn't inspect us, how pure we are, how right we are, how good we are. He looks at Jesus and Jesus is the spotless lamb. And he laid down his life on the cross for our sins. And as he was on the cross, the Bible tells us about two thieves. There was one on his right and one on his left, right? And one of them says, I want to be with you. I believe you're the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And the other one mocked him. How many of you guys can just picture this for just a moment? You're a thief hanging on the cross and what, you're the guy who says, I, I believe you're the king of kings. And yet you've met the king on your very worst day, <laughs> your very worst moment. You're literally hanging on a cross paying for your crime. Can you imagine meeting the king of kings on your very worst day, like the, the worst day you let, yelled at your kids, your worst day of your most secret, darkest sin, and that's when you meet the king? But the truth is we all meet the king on our worst day because he has seen every single bit of it along the way. And it was on your worst day that he decided he would die for us. He saw that all. And it was even though he had seen your worst day. And so I come back to that scripture as we get ready to close and it's Psalm 51 verse 12, it says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Listen, if your joy has been shaken, go back to that place of grace. Go back to that place of grace. Would you all stand up with me? And if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I, there's, I can't go any further in this service without giving an opportunity that there might be someone here who hasn't had a story like what's been shared today that you don't have a moment where you surrendered your life to Jesus. You don't have a moment of this joy unspeakable and full of glory. You don't have that moment where you met the king and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I just want to give you that moment. I want you to understand that Jesus is the perfect spotless lamb. He laid down his life 
not because you were so good, but because he is perfect and he took your place. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. There's no way you can buy God's grace. There's no way you can earn God's grace. There's no way you can trade something for God's grace. God's grace is here today as a free gift. And he simply offers it to you and all you have to do is receive. And if you're here today and you say, I haven't followed Jesus, I haven't surrendered my life to Jesus, but I sure want to receive his grace. I just wanna pray for you. This is not something that's like a finish line, this is actually a starting line. It's a starting line of following Jesus. And if you're here today and you say, I haven't started to follow Jesus, or maybe you're here and you say, I've been like that prodigal and I've left the Father's house, but I, just, I need to come back. I know I'm not following. Like, I need to be following today. I need to come back to the Father's house. Either way, I just want to pray for you today and to lead you in that. If that's you all over the building, would you just lift up your hand right now so I can pray for you? Anybody at all? And I'll be willing to pray for you guys. All right, thank you. Anybody else? This is your moment right now. This is your moment. All right. We're just going to pray together. And I'm going to lead you in words, but it's, it, it, there's nothing magical about the words. It's, it's really just coming to God. The Bible says that when we believe in our heart, if we just confess that out of our mouth, that that's the starting point. It's the starting point of faith because words are powerful. And we're kind of starting that with our words. And so everybody pray with us. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe you took my place. You paid the price for my sin. You rose from the dead. I receive your gift of grace by faith. And I confess that now you're Lord of my life and I will follow you all the days of my life. And Lord, we thank you for those who prayed that prayer. Maybe those who are watching right now even and are praying that prayer. I pray that there would be a revelation that the past is gone and new has come. The yesterday is no more, and today is the starting point of a brand new life, that now they have brand new spiritual DNA. They are a new creation in you. Oh, let the joy of the Lord flood their heart right now. Let the grace of God become so real right now that Satan can't touch it. He can't steal it. He can't talk them away from it. And Lord, we thank you for that because your grace is so good. Your grace is so good. Amen. Let's worship him one more.